Howdy, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal. That's right, we're doing one again. It's not going to be another six yeah. weeks or whatever yeah. it was. We're, uh, I still somehow watched a bunch of movies. So, um, my name's David. I'm Tyler. This is the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these shows. Uh, I'm going to get started. Um, I saw Denzel Washington's Fences. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't know if you know uh, that it, it's it's based on a play mm-hmm. called Fences. And uh, if you didn't know that two minutes into the movie, you'd be like, well, this must be based on a play. Okay. No, people don't talk like this in movies. Hmm. Uh, I remember I had a drama teacher once um, point out that like it's even though this, this seems counterintuitive because when you see a play, you're actually seeing real people in front of you. Right. But movies seem more real than plays. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, I think because movies get you closer to it, you expect it to be there to be more verisimilitude. Whereas the heightened nature of a, something a play, a play or a musical, something up on a stage, yeah. um, means they can get away with more. And so, um, Fences is the kind of play where every every time it's someone's turn to talk, it's their turn to talk for probably a page and a half. Wow! And then, um, and I it took some adjusting for me. I will, I will admit. Um, but once I got into it, uh, I, uh, I really, really liked fences. It's a, it's a very, very well done movie. Um, it doesn't hurt that your two leads are Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. Yeah. Possibly like legitimate contenders for the two best working actors today. Uh, like, I tell you, you what, me. they both, uh, wound up on our, uh, top 25. Yeah. So there you go. They, so. they, uh, I'm not telling tales out of school. Um, and so, uh, they're, um, uh, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. And then I also want to, uh, you know, when something's this stage bound on the, on the, on the, on the page, um, it has to, it has to look right, you know, right. and they do something, they definitely, um, I get the impression that the entire play probably takes place in the backyard because most of the movie takes place in the backyard, mm-hmm. but they move stuff inside. There's a couple shots. There's, there's a couple scenes of, uh, Denzel, uh, and, and Steven Henderson at work. And then there's, uh, one very brief scene that I'm, I would wager is not in the play. Uh, the play, the movie is adapted by, uh, the screenplay is, by uh the screenwriter okay or the, the screenplay is by the playwright okay sorry august wilson um uh but you've got uh, but you you need to make things look good and um the cinematography by uh her name is charlotte bruce christensen i want to say is her name um i know her mostly from um making that um um Far from the Madding Crowd movie a couple oh, okay. years ago, uh, making people think it was better than it was uh, because she shot it so beautifully. Um, she also shot The Girl on the Train earlier this year. Um, couldn't rescue that, but uh, I think she's uh, I think she's an up and comer. She's always been working in her yeah. in her native uh, Denmark. I want to say um, for a while, uh, and I think we're going to see her name uh, hopefully on a lot more uh, movies. And um, yeah. Denzel did a did a good job. I never saw the Great Debaters. I haven't seen anything that he's directed. I saw Antoine Fisher, and it was um, you know not bad, but just very much by the numbers, very conventional yeah. type movie. Uh, and in this, 
it feels like it has more personality. I, I can sort of, and now I'm interested in seeing the great debater to see if there is like a progression to see if he's mm-hmm. becoming more, um, confident, um, as a, as a filmmaker and, and, and willing to inject more, um, idiosyncratic touches, uh, and, and stuff. And it can also have to do with the material. Yeah, that's you know? true. Like this is a, a very well-respected play that he did not stray too far from as far as uh, adaptation. So like something like that might uh, embolden him a little bit as a, as a director. Um, I also want a, a huge shout out to Michael T. Williamson, who's great in everything. Yeah. But uh, I mean, there's no delicate way to say this when there's a character in any movie who is uh, mentally handicapped. Um, in this case, uh, you know, Michael T. Williamson played, Bubba in right. Forrest Gump, who was, uh, I think just had some sort of developmental disorder. Yeah. Um, here, his character, whose name I've already forgotten. Um, have name, yeah, I forget. Oh, Gabe is his name. Um, was, uh, wounded, um, was sh- like, um, in world war two. Okay. Um, and, uh, has not, uh, has some serious brain damage. So what I'm saying is whenever there's a character in any movie who has some sort of, uh, mental disorder, it's always a bit like, like, is this going to be, Here we go. uh, is this, is this going to be offensive? Is this going to be, uh, uncomfortable? Is, is are we going to be, uh, see someone trying too hard? Uh, but Mike T. Williamson knocks it out of the park. I'm sure he does. Uh, I have no doubt. I remember there was that show that you and I watched and thought it was, Pretty good. Boomtown. Oh, I think it was more than pretty good. Um, it had its there, like, because it was an ensemble, some parts of the ensemble were stronger, not because of the <laughs> actors, but because just the characters themselves. But, uh, but Michael T. Williamson as fearless, as that fearless, was, that was his character's yeah. name. Probably, um, <laughs> probably not his Christian name. I never, I didn't watch every episode, but I'm guessing his given name was not fearless. Uh, right. They do, just what they call him. They do give a, f- they do give his actual name at some point. I did watch the whole thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a pretty good show. Neil McDonough was on there. Yeah. And that was, um, a pretty justified Graham Yost. He's the one, oh. who, he's the one who created that show. There you go. Um, a guy whose name is fun to say, Gary Basaraba, um, <laughs> and others, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Well, did you say Donnie Wahlberg? Oh, Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah, you yeah. said Neil McDonough, but Donnie Wahlberg was yeah. on it. Um, for those who don't remember Boontown, the, conceit was that you'd see one character's point of view at a time yeah so you'd see like it would say fearless whoever the character would say the name on screen and then for the next little bit until you know the rest of the actor until you saw another name on screen everything was uh around them so occasionally on the show you would see the same scene twice right um but with tweaks and there's a there's a very notable one where um uh, Neil McDonough's character, who is a, a district attorney, uh, is giving a speech and is very suave in, in a in like a banquet hall and is very suave and very uh, you know charming and stuff. And that's from his character's <laughs> point of view. And then you see another character who's at that banquet watch him give this speech, and he is in fact very drunk, and it's very <laughs> awkward. Um, oh, that's that's funny. I don't remember that one. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I do remember the one like a testament to Michael T. Williamson's uh, 
prowess, the one episode they did that was entirely from one person's point of view was him. The episode was called fearless. Yeah. And it was entirely his episode. episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We got to move on. We got too much stuff. We don't want to go another three hours and 45 minutes. Although Uh, people seem to like it. So, you know what? Let's go episode by episode of Boomtown. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, all right. So from pleasantly surprised by, uh, offenses, I went to see a movie that I did not have my hopes up for and it managed to even, undercut oh, wow. <laughs> they managed to hit lower than i even expected uh and that is john madden's new movie miss sloan oh boy yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a trial it is it is tough tough to sit through um because uh uh i'm trying to, you haven't seen it but when we talked about this off mic you compared it you were like it looks like this and i was like yes you're right but i can't remember what you said i believe i said it looks like a like a a, a shittier version of Michael Clayton. That's exactly. Yeah. It, so mixed it, with, and I don't remember what, like something else. Well, I said it was, I, I think it's Michael Clayton, but it's mixed with, if you'll go back to 2015 and David's least favorite movie yes. of 2015, it's mixed with truth. Yeah. Which is, a, it's once again in the category of movies with a political point of view that I am on board with. Yeah. But they still managed to turn me off by being so smug and unnuanced about it. Yeah. You know, you've got, you've got characters you know, this is a this is a gun control movie. If you don't know, um, uh, and but it, I mean, uh, so you've got characters dropping like essentially the you know sound bites, like yeah. you know the Miss uh, um, Sloan says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I can't, remember the, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but she says, uh, in many parts of the country, you can get a you know, what well, she says, you have to. You have to wait however long to get a license for whatever, but you can get a gun in five minutes. If you need a gun that bad, you shouldn't have one. And it's like, I guess, yeah. If I saw that in a tweet, I might hit favorite. Sure. But like, this is a movie. Like, yeah. We're holding you to a yeah. higher standard. You know, this no, is supposed uh, to be a work of art. There's no character limit, guys. In this, <laughs> yeah, exactly. in this screenplay. <laughs> um, uh, Why don't you check out old fences yeah. over there and see how long they take to uh, make a point. Um, but I think what ends up what's the thing that makes the movie better than truth, but still pretty rough, um, which would seem like a mark against it because truth is based on true event or mm. a true story. It can't make up too much shit. Right. Miss Sloan makes up shit, which is preposterous. Sure. Like not just, there is like a twist ending that's so dumb, but there's other dumb stuff that happens throughout. But the movie is, ends up being a little more entertaining because it's because it's dumber, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I still wouldn't sit through it again, but there's, like I said, there's a twist ending that is so ridiculous that like after two hours and 15 minutes of enduring this movie, I was at least like, well, at least I got to see that. (laughs) Wow. That's, (laughs) that's a long movie. Yeah. Uh, great cast. You've got Jessica Chastain as, uh, in the titular role. Um, you've got, uh, uh, Allison Hill, um, Sam Waterston, John Lithgow. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. There's other, there's other actors. Oh, oh, of course. Uh, the one who actually gets away, um, comes away smelling like roses, uh, is Gugu Mbata raw. Who's great in everything. Um, uh, you know who that is. Yes, I do. From Beyond the Lights and from um, Bell. Uh, she's seen, probably been in some. I've seen either of those movies that people have heard of too. You should check out Beyond the Lights. I've been told that. Yes. Um, 
So let's see what IMDb says she's known for. Uh, concussion. Oh, oh. F- uh, free state of Jones. You saw that. Yes. Um, you saw Jupiter ascending. I didn't. Yeah. So I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, I guess those, those are the things that she's known for. Okay. Oh, and of course the, uh, short lived series undercovers as a JJ Abrams series that, mm. uh, about the, uh, I assume- married couple who were spies. It was like Mr. And Mrs. Smith, except they're friends. Oh, right. It's so fascinating. I was looking up something the other day and it really is astonishing to me. The TV shows that get greenlit, they get promoted. We even talk about them a little bit uh-huh. and then they just fade as though they never existed. Let me throw this at you. Cause I was looking up a, a certain, I was looking up the actor, uh, William Forsythe mob doctor. You remember Mob oh, Doctor? Um, with well, uh, Terry Kinney was on it. Yeah, but the star was the girl from My Boys. Um, what was her name? PJ I, something. I don't recall uh, her name, but I do remember. Uh, I like her. I had for- completely forgotten that show, and I watched an episode of it because we were going to talk about it on uh, on the Paul Goebel oh, show at the time. Jord- Jordana Spiro was. Her yeah, name. I think maybe her character's name on My Boys was was PJ, or maybe I don't know what i'm talking about um here's one i'll i'll throw at you okay do you this is going way back okay do you remember the education of max bickford is that the one with james cromwell no richard dreyfus shit james cromwell i can't remember the name of that one but that was james cromwell um and he was like a an ambassador he was like a public figure ambassador okay. or, a, or a senator or something and one of his daughters was played by jacinda barrett okay uh who was on the real world london but has actually gone on to have a an, an actual, actual career. career yeah that's exciting um yeah oh, okay so that's yeah that's that's the other one yeah but now i have to look up the name of that show with james cromwell all right you uh it's your turn what did okay. you see so um most of these are going to be rewatches uh and this is actually one that i forgot that actually i should have talked about last week but i forgot about it and then as i was looking at my wall i realized that i had rewatched a few weeks ago skyfall Directed by Scott, uh, Sam Mendes. Citizen Baines. Citizen Baines. Uh, oh, it rhymes with Kane. I got it. Yeah. And um, Beth Davids was in it as well. I like her. And Beth Davids. Wasn't there one called The Black Donnellys? Which uh, one is that? Yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> who was in it? Was, this I, is I not a fun game to play. Um, it kind of is for me. Not for the listener, though. And that's our first consideration always. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Tucker was on the black, the black Donald. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, Skyfall is, sorry, your movie is Skyfall. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Now. Uh, you didn't see it, right? Nope. Uh, pretty damn good shot by Roger Deakins. So it go. is beautiful and it is just, it's, it's so much better than a James Bond movie has any right to be. Um, and it, I honestly feel like officially it is a James Bond movie. Character's name is James Bond. We're dealing with M. We've got, you know, the Q character, spy stuff. But the nature of the villain and just the, the emotional connection that these characters have Yes, that is kind of the hallmark of the Daniel Craig, James Bond films. But Mm -hmm. I think that they do that. So starting with Casino Royale, 
but I think that they did that because there's so much about James Bond that culturally is not merely outdated, but also frowned upon. And I think people like the idea of a hero that is at times a bit vulnerable and, you know, sort of like a, honestly, I think these movies were very much influenced by Jason Bourne. Um, mm-hmm. and so you watch these and yeah, like the music kicks in and it's really awesome. And he does some pretty amazing, uh, spy shit, but these, they both feel like James Bond movies and don't, they are, they're too classy to be James Bond movies. They're too, they have too much depth to be James Bond movies. Hmm. You know, um, you've got Oscar winners in, in these films playing characters that like there was talk of Javier Bardem being nominated for an Oscar for this film. He was not, he was nominated and won other awards. Uh, it's just, but isn't that, I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but don't you feel like, if a movie comes out around Thanksgiving and it's two and a half hours long, someone's going to say someone in it should be nominated for an Oscar because that's just the mindset everyone's in at that time of year. I guess that's about right. Yes. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a really great movie. I think it's very, very effective on every level, a character level, an action level, certainly visually it's, it's beautiful. And there are, there are sequences that are very, James Bond, but everything is elevated to such a degree that it's almost like it's almost like they're embarrassed they're making a James Bond movie, so they're doing everything they can to transcend the limitations of that, and they're definitely elevating everything, but I don't know, I just so I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining about it, but it's definitely uh, I definitely having seen older James Bond films and then watching these, there's there's certainly a thematic and I'd say an emotional disparity between them. Skyfall and Casino Royale are probably my favorite James Bond movies. Mm. So I'm not complaining. I like this. I'm a Thunderball guy. You're, Oh, that's, that's, uh, the, what is it? Um, that's your alpha and omega as far as uh, James Bond. (laughs) How many have you seen? How many have I seen? I've seen like the first five probably. Okay. So that's what that Dr. No from rush with love goldfinger thunderball. Um, uh, everybody, everybody lives twice. Is that one of them? You only uh, die twice. Uh, you only die twice is the one I'm looking for. Is it? You only die twice. Yeah. It's you only die twice. Um, I think those are the first you only five. Live twice. Uh, maybe it is. You only live twice. I should know. Yeah. Um, because I saw it. So I've seen those from Russia with love is quite good five. as, as yeah. a, a goldfinger. Uh, I am not a goldfinger fan. I think we talked about it in the show oh. before. I like um, the character of goldfinger. Gert Froba. Yeah. Gert Froba. Uh, I think the, um, some of the, yeah, I guess I like Gert Froba's performance, but some of the actual goldfinger stuff is, uh, like three movies in it seemed like they were already uh, parody, like his, yeah, his like lair and the fact that he's like built this entire model, huge model that rises out of the floor. It's like pneumatic things that rise out of the floor just to show a model of Fort Fort Knox. And then he kills everybody he showed it to anyway. So it's like, what was all that for? And how much of your seed money for your big heist was plan was building this model. It's kind of stupid. I got also, I got to say, Eric, I don't know if this is uh, sustainable, this model of yours. (laughs) Um, 
But then uh, uh, that's jokingly uh, all joking aside. I think the pussy galore stuff is reprehensible. Sure. Um, and it puts, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So I've seen those five. Okay. I assume um, you saw some Pierce Brosnan ones. Right? And I think I saw the first three Pierce Brosnan ones, which would have been Golden Goldeneye, um, Tomorrow Never Dies, yeah. and The World Is Not Enough. Yes. But I never saw Die Another Day. Right. I think he only did four. Yeah, right? I think that's right. Yeah. So those um, what are eight. I've seen eight James Bond movies. That's the the short answer. <laughs> you asked me a question and I gave you a five minute long answer. That's right. The short answer is eight. Yeah. If you want to see where it actually becomes parody, you watch those Roger Moore ones in the seventies. Okay. And then they try to overcorrect by having a very serious Timothy Dalton uh run, which I think was only two or three films. But anyway, uh that's neither here nor there. Like But yeah, I like Thunderball. Uh best theme song tom jones thunderball it's my favorite uh um james bond theme song and also skyfall is pretty damn that, good that, i'm not saying i'd say most of most james bond theme songs are pretty good yeah. uh, i like james bond theme songs songs more than i like sure. the franchise itself uh but the other thing i like about thunderball is that it ends in an underwater harpoon massacre i don't know if you remember but it's I do like i recall it's it's got to be the highest body count up to that point like of yeah. the first like it must have outdone the other movies in terms of body count yeah. i'll bet only like how many people actually die in dr no like three probably yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so the way so these franchises always go but uh, but so thunderball, harpoon massacre thunderball has like like you've got mi6 agents or whatever and uh, the bad guys henchmen yeah. underwater, like shooting each other with harpoons. And it's like, uh, and then the blood brings the sharks, you know, it's crazy. Like there, are, there are places where like you need to wait days to get a license, but you can get a harpoon gun <laughs> in like five minutes. I say anyone who needs a harpoon gun <laughs> that quickly shouldn't have one. Um, Anything else about yeah, Skyfall? Yeah, you, you gotta wait days for a license to kill, but then you've got your harpoon gun in minutes. Um, <laughs> All right, we can move on. I've never seen License to Kill, but I will, if I have to write it out, I will always use the uh, the British spelling of license, which is L-I-C-E-N-C-E, oh, as okay. opposed to S-E. Oh, okay. Because I it. feel like it's a British movie, essentially, sure. so I'm going to call it license with the I C. might throw a U in there somewhere. You might try to. <laughs> um, all right. Another couple for me. I watched a movie that I had only ever seen a heavily like TV edited version as a kid before. Um, and I wanted to revisit it. Um, and that's uh, Don Coscarelli's Phantasm 2. Oh, wow. All right. Um, because I've since I had I never saw Phantasm as uh, as a kid. Um, right. I saw it when I got older, and Phantasm's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. It's have you seen it? Uh, yes, I have. It's super great. I love Phantasm so much. Um, and so I had these memories of Phantasm too, which is like, in retrospect, for years the only thing I knew of Phantasm was the edited version I'd seen on TV, like afternoon Saturday afternoon TV or whatever, right. um, uh, as a kid. Um, and so I decided to watch Phantasm two, uh, again, really for the first time. Um, I didn't realize that James Legro was the lead that like, mm. um, it's the one, it's the one Phantasm movie that the kid who plays Mikey or Mike or whatever isn't in Okay, because apparently I looked it up, apparently this universal. So Phantasm was like independently produced and then universal in the eighties. 
I guess having a horror franchise was the more horror franchises, the better. That was like yeah. a big trend in the eighties. So universal was just like, here, here's $3 million, which is nothing to universal and the world to Don <laughs> Cascarelli. Here's $3 million. <laughs> make of a, the kingdom, make a phantasm too. But then they put so many restrictions on him. Like that's phantasm two on its own is not a bad horror movie. Mm. Um, he's Don Cascarelli has a great visual sense. Um, uh, you know, um, in the, both in the quieter moments and in the, the big moments when he really goes for it. Um, it's creative in its, in its gore, uh, and in it, its horror. Um, it really is not that bad a movie on its own, but it doesn't feel like phantasm because apparently from what I've read, um, universal specifically, um, forbade him to make it weird. <laughs> like, like um there's barely any dream there's not really any dream sequences in it there's there's one part where james the girl and the female lead um are having a conversation telepathically and she says we're dreaming and it's like the one bit where don cascarelli gets to be a little weird yeah um but it it, it sort of feels like it feels like a an eighties horror franchise studio movie, but on the higher end of that. Yeah. So it's, uh, again, it's, it's not bad. Um, but it's also not great. It didn't make you, I've never seen any of the phantasms after that. Um, part of the reason I wanted to watch phantasm two is because phantasm five, right. Um, just recently came out, uh, the first one, not, uh, directed by Don Cascarelli, though he was, he co-wrote it and produced it. Um, but, um, it's not made me want to go back and watch three, four, and then, uh, three and four and then this this new one wow so you're really gonna latch onto this franchise uh i don't know i i i, I say i'm gonna do it but uh but i've always i i phantasm's great i i wrote a monday movie about it the monday movie's coming back by the way okay if, on the website uh yeah things been fucked up for the second half of 2016 uh and i kind of i didn't realize that i hadn't done one since july but uh i am bringing back the monday movie i already have uh mondays banked so um yeah uh Phantasm's good. Phantasm 2 is just okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Next up, I watched a movie that is incredible. I'm very much... This is... I, you know I love this time of year. Sure. Um, because everyone's thinking about, like, what are the best movies of the year? Everyone's talking about movies. But thanks to our friend uh, over at Rupert Pupkin Speaks, we also get to think about what are the 10 best oh, yeah. old movies that I saw this year. I should try and, to do that this year. Um, so I have a, a late contender... Uh, I watched uh, Robert Bresson's Four Nights of a Dreamer, um, which is based on the Dostoevsky short story White Nights, mm-hmm. um, which has been adapted a bunch of times, including the James Gray movie Two Lovers from like, uh, was that like four or five oh, years yeah, ago? Yeah. Maybe more than that at this point. Um, but but yeah, with I Joaquin so. Phoenix and Gwyneth Paltrow. Right? Yeah. I never saw it, but um, based on the same, the same material. Um, and this... In some thematically, this doesn't feel like a Robert Bresson movie because it's not. Um, there's not any uh, religion or like spirituality in it, but it, um, aesthetically, it very much does feel like a Robert Bresson movie. In that, um, they're clearly like the leads are clearly non-actors um, whom he uh, directed to the point of. Uh, a complete loss of affect um, so that there could be, uh, that's generally something he would do in his movies is just direct his like actors, make them do take after take until they had like, they were not actors to begin with. And there was no trace of acting in their performance whatsoever. Um, and at first it is a little uh, weird in his movies uh, at the beginning, but um, as the 
thing as the movies go on i don't know if the actors become more comfortable i don't know if they shot the movie uh in sequence uh, i i couldn't tell you that i was gonna say chronologically but the movie doesn't take place chronologically so it wouldn't that wouldn't make sense um that wouldn't be what i was going for anyway uh this is an absolutely beautiful movie even though it belongs to a hyper specific subgenre of movies that i don't like okay you know um we talked about like our pet themes like movies that we uh that tackle subjects that we tend to like there's one that you know regardless of the quality of the movie there's a type of subgenre of movie that tends to turn me off uh no matter what and that's the uh dude is in love with girl who's not in love with him sure subgenre unrequited Uh, the unrequited love specifically for some reason specifically like unrequited male love for a woman okay um and that's what this is the story is that this guy's wandering around and he sees a woman waiting on standing on the bridge contemplating suicide um and he befriends her and says let's meet the next night and the next night and so they keep meeting every night um four nights in a row uh, per the title. Um, and then in between we get, um, some of their daily life. And we also get flashbacks for each of them. We see each of their backstories. Um, and you realize that the reason she was on the bridge that night is because, um, her, uh, the guy she was in love with had left the country a year ago and was supposed to come back and meet her on the bridge one year and he didn't show up. And so she was going to, uh, kill herself. And so, this guy, uh, our protagonist is like falling in love with this woman while she's still pining for this guy who stood her up. Um, and yeah, normally I, I just want to scream at these characters, like get over it. You know, you're, oh, see, when I, you're only hurting yourself. There's plenty of fish in the sea guy. Yeah, I want to scream like, can't you see that you love each other? Come on, give them a chance. What are you, uh, what are you? I, some kind of, some kind of frigid, uh, I don't know. I can't keep that character. Well, she's going. not. Yeah, she, yeah. Uh, she's not frigid. Um, <laughs> um, I, I needed to get that out there for yeah. some reason. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, no, it just always bothers me in movies that I just wish. Like, I, I just feel like it's a. It's this weird like. Is that people talk about like the guys in the romantic comedies, like who exhibit behavior, which like in real life would make them stalkers, but it's like cute because it's probably, you know, it's written and directed by maybe some dude who's like working out his issues of the girl in high school who never went out with him Mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, And that's what those movies always feel like to me. And I just want to be like, stop with this stereotype. Like there's no such thing as the one. If a girl's not into you, she's not the one. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just, move on, go look for someone else. There are literally, there are so many people out there. Find someone who actually wants your attention and give it to them. Quit wasting yeah. your time on this. Is, I always want to scream at characters like this, but this movie is just so heartfelt and beautiful. Um, and, uh, quietly so because it's Robert Brisson, everything's uh, quiet, but, um, he uses diegetic music, uh, beautifully. There's, there's a scene where the female lead is examining herself in the mirror while listening to the radio. And it's just like a beautiful wordless, uh, scene. And then there's occasional like street musicians and buskers they pass while they're walking around at night. And there's one part, it's the absolute highlight of the movie. It's just them looking over the, uh, the river, the, the Seine it's in Paris. So it's the Seine, and it's the, um, there's like, tourist boats and there's like a tourist boat at night that has like serving dinner and like has a live band playing on it. Mm -hmm. And just this boat at night gently floating down the river and you can hear they're like watching from the, 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 the side, the, the street and they can hear the music from the boat sort of 
spilling out over the riverbanks and every time the boat like passes under one of the bridges the entire inside of the bridge gets lit up with this like green glow oh that's from nice. inside the boat it's it's a beautiful beautiful sequence that um robert Bertson takes his time with it's probably a good 30 to 45 seconds of just watching this boat go down the river hmm. um which is it's probably it might even be longer than that um knowing him but anyway it's that's four nights of a dreamer i've talked the movie's only 75 minutes and i feel like i've talked about it for 70 minutes so let's uh, let's move on all right so uh this is the only film here that uh is a new watch for me it is kubo and the two strings i saw this uh i really wanted to like flip out for it and there are individual aspects or scenes that i do indeed flip out for it's gorgeous. I think obviously. we are very much on the same the yeah. same page. Um, it's it's beautiful. There are entire sequences that are amazing. Uh, when he's telling his story, it's a lot of fun. When they're dealing with the giant skeleton, that's that yeah. part's fun. The boat made of leaves is yeah. amazing. Love it. Um, there's there's a lot a lot to really enjoy uh, about that film. There are characters that I like. The sisters, voiced by Rooney Mara. Yeah are genuinely frightening. Yep. Uh, all the more so not all the more so because of her vocal performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I like the character of Kubo there's, and I do like the idea that just Kubo has magical abilities just as his parents did. And, uh, that's it. Like it's that they don't go out of their way to explain it. It's right. just the reality. I do like that sort of thing. Um, it really is just the, the, the story itself is fine. The pacing is fine. Uh, the characters are fine. I think Matthew McConaughey, he does what he can, and I think he commits to the character, but I think he's just miscast. Um, Charlize Theron does a good job. Uh, but yeah, it's it really, I guess when it comes right down to it, I don't use this term very much, but I'd say it is less than the sum of its parts. Maybe if I'm feeling generous, I'd say it is exactly the sum of its parts, but it is certainly not more. And from that studio, I've come to expect more. But yeah, I, I see what you mean, because it, but I felt the same way about the box trolls where I was like, uh, this is like a this is really good. This is better than most animated movies that are out there. Right. But I feel like they're one two punch out of the gate with Coraline and Paranorman. Like yeah. they're, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to live back up to how good those two movies are. Yeah. And I think I like box trolls more than this. Um, although it's hard to say, cause the, again, visually, I think this one had more creativity. Mm. Um, I think I like the, the, some of the themes about, uh, uh, themes in box trolls more. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's box trolls is yeah. gross. And that's a bit of a turnoff. I know it's supposed to be, yeah. but there's like Kubo's a beautiful movie. It is. And yeah. box trolls has beauty in it, but it's also, it's meticulously depicted grossness. Yes, that is true. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, at, at the same time, as you say, their one, two punch, it, it's, it's hard to beat. It's, I'd say it's impossible to beat. Like those are, two of my favorite animated films the last 20 years mm. so yeah all right i'd still recommend it i i do wish i had seen it in theaters i'll say that uh i did um i saw it in the theater oh look at you um all right i watched a netflix documentary um called amanda knox have you heard of this documentary and do you remember the amanda knox case 
Okay. I've heard of it. I do not remember it. See, I was the opposite where I didn't know the name Amanda Knox, but then once I started reading like the details of the case, I was like, oh, I remember this. Okay. So this was the American uh, college student who was studying abroad in Italy whose roommate, a, a British college student also studying abroad at the same time, um, was murdered, and she, the American girl, and her Italian boyfriend were um, charged with mm. murdering the girl. Um and so this is a, I guess it's a true crime documentary um, uh, about this case. And this is, side note, I um, have nothing against people who are into true crime in terms of like, uh, like just, I, 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 I have a distaste for it. With like podcasts or books or stuff that are about true crime, uh, I'm not going to be into them. But with movies, I love movies, yeah. so I'm willing to put up with true crime and I've ended up finding good movies and TV series uh, out of that. And uh, this is one of them. This is no um, no exception. Now, I feel like um, I want to avoid spoilers, but then I also know, like, a lot of people were following this case and know sure. exactly what happened, but it helped me that I didn't know okay. um, uh, then, yeah, what, what I, happened. I don't know, and uh, I, I will probably see it now, so don't spoil it. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, it's great. You should watch it. It's only about 90 minutes long. Um but uh, uh, I'll say it. Um, the the filmmakers were correct; uh, chose the correct uh, path in also in, in not assuming that the viewer knew, mm-hmm. you know, and laying out information in a way that like there's information in the first like section of the movie that they're clearly laying out in a way to put you in the mindset of how people would have perceived that information at the beginning, like to make you understand why so many people leapt to the conclusion of their guilt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it, you know, and, and then, and then the movie goes on and gives you information the same way it came out. So the beginning is reframed by the end. Um, but mostly what I, what I want to talk about is, um, uh, Amanda Knox herself is a fascinating, um, person. And also, the police investigator of this um, uh, Perugia, Italy. Uh, I mean, this is uh, we, we talked a few weeks ago how about uh, you shouldn't hate people, but sometimes you can't help yourself. Yeah. I think I hate this guy. Oh wow! Um, because he reminds me, and even though he's in a very different capacity, he reminds me of all the things I found distasteful about our former president George W. Bush. Okay, uh, which is. Um, acting from your gut and not your brain and then being arrogant about that, hmm. you know, um, he, this guy, he decides a man and acts is guilty. And then everything that he does is based on a decision he's already made, yeah. including wild speculations and leaps in logic and like laying out, like there's a part, like they're asking her to, they, they they lay out every knife they found in the kitchen. You know, this is before she's a suspect no. or before she's been arrested at least. And they they ask her, are any knives missing from your kitchen? And she starts freaking out maybe because of the fact that her roommate down the hall from her was brutally murdered. Yeah. But, um, the, you hear, but the, the police investigator being interviewed says it was as if she could hear the screams of Meredith again. It's like, <laughs> where the fuck are you getting that? And that's not an, an isolated incident. He does this repeatedly. Um, and if, um, 
if this, you know, the, the case is done and dusted at this point, but if, uh, if the movie serves any purpose, it should be to further publicly shame this man <laughs> because he should not be in charge of whether or not people get to be free or not. Uh, wow. I, I found myself hating him, but there's much more to the movie than that that I won't go into. Uh, I almost want them to make, like uh, to adapt it into like a, a narrative film just to see what actor played that guy. <laughs> Cause I yeah. feel like you'd have a field day with it, whoever they cast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think, um, you know, who he, he looks like an Italian version of, um, who's the native American actor, uh, or who's in dead man. Um, Gary Farmer. Gary Farmer. Yeah. He looks like an Italian Gary Farmer, okay. but Gary Farmer is too smart and sweet. <laughs> he's an actor he can yeah, do it maybe you're right and also i'd like to see gary farmer get more work uh yeah he was in a, a canadian movie a few years ago called good neighbors that's with the you um, oh okay yeah uh with jay baruchel and scott speedman um it's not a oh, great yeah, movie but it's one. a it's kind of a pulpy little like uh thriller um anyway all right so speaking of pulp i watched a movie that i don't know if I can recommend because it is a nasty piece of work. Okay. It's from 1980. Um, it's called Demented. Okay. The title right away is like um, just a skeevy thing to call this movie. Yeah. Because um, sort of, uh, you know, this could be a companion piece to L uh, in that it also uh, opens like the very first scene as a woman being raped. Uh, in this case, she's. Um, raped by four men. Um, and, uh, then the movie jumps to her getting out of, she goes, she's like in a mental hospital to that. And then her, her husband played by porn actor, Harry Reams, um, from deep throat, her husband picks her up. See this movie, it's, it's not good, but it's also so singular that I almost like want to recommend people see it, but I want people to know what they're getting into. Um, and then from that point, she's she's not well yeah and like the movie it's so confusing so because on the one hand i feel like it should be commended for being a movie that takes as its entire premise the psychological scars of of rape and how difficult it is and how her husband just doesn't understand and it's like this happened to you you went to the hospital you're out now you should be better and can't deal with the fact that she's not better yet like that's smart that's 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 a story worth telling but it's also told in the most exploitative and trashy way possible and yeah he's a porn star yeah those lines are said by harry reeves and no one in the movie can act the the but the the main uh uh, actress i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up her name um can't act in a way that i actually found incredibly compelling (laughs) like um i i couldn't i couldn't look away um and that's not uh sally young is her name um this movie, you know how you hear like those count, like people count, like what's the movie where the word fuck is said and it's very answers to the most, the word rape is said so many times in demented. Like it has to keep reminding you and she has to keep stating I was raped. And she's always talking like everything yeah. she says is at that pitch. Um, partially I think because the actress doesn't have much range. She, yeah. she does everything at the same, at the same pitch. Um, and then her sister comes to visit and she's like, yes, you were raped, but blah, blah. Like it's constantly restating the fact that she was raped. Um, uh, and it, so it's, it's very odd. And then it goes to a place where she, 
um, her husband, Harry Reams, uh, it's not his, that's not the character's <laughs> name, uh, but her husband, Harry Reams is cheating on her. And so she's alone a lot at night. Um, and she, the neighborhood kids start coming into the house and terrorizing her in masks, but we don't know at first, eventually the movie does answer, but, uh, and this is a, an interesting choice. We don't know because she doesn't know if it's real or not. Like yeah. she doesn't know, is this some sort of PTSD hallucination that right. she's having um, because of what she went through. And again, there's four, uh, four teenage boys as opposed to the four uh, young men uh, from the beginning, but there's four of them. Um, they're wearing these like um, demented, like jester masks um, and, and torturing her. It's, it's a bizarre movie. Um, so the title, does that refer to her? Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's I don't exactly, like that. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a heavy movie. Um, I have a certain, it's a, like it's meant, it's clearly like marketing and title and everything. It's like, sure. An exploitative, like eighties, like horror thriller type thing. And in most of his execution is that too, but also the huge, the main middle portion of the movie is just this woman like dealing with her psychosis after having been uh, terribly assaulted and the people around her not understanding it. Like it has it's heavy subject matter treated like trash. Wow. And so it's again, it's fascinating, not a good movie, but I uh, would not, steer people away from it if they're interested in it, as long as they're interested in it for the right reasons. I remember there was a guy who came into, and then we'll move on. Um, there was a guy who came into my video store asking about the movie irreversible. And we were like, Oh, it's yeah, it's in the new release wall. And then he started talking about the nine minute long single take rape scene. You've seen the movie. Yes. Uh, and he would, but he was talking about it. Like he was eager, like, like that was what was the selling point for him. And, um, to our credit, my coworker, Seth and I shamed him out of the store and he didn't rent the movie. Well, that's good. <laughs> Cause I guarantee you, if he rented that, he's not coming back. Yeah. Like, yeah. You'd need to um, order another copy. And so if you're interested in seeing demented for that reason, uh, you know, scram, go kick rocks. We don't need you. Um, but it is an interesting movie. I'm not saying it's good. Here's, here's what's one of the many things. Also, oh, don't watch the trailer online. Okay. Cause the trailer literally gives it away every, ma- yeah, every okay. major uh, thing that happens. So occasionally on here, I talk about red letter media. Uh-huh. Um, and they have this thing called best of the worst where they talk about, they, they watch three movies that are just awful. And, if the movies are from the seventies and they're like action films or they're, they're often, you know, sort of grindhouse movies or, or exploitation movies. Rape is like the recurring theme in all, in all of them. I mean, it's just, it happens all the time. It was, it was just rape was very much seen just like as a catalyst. It's the thing that like gets the male hero angry because like oh, right. his, yeah. his wife or his daughter or something like that was raped. So it's like, all right, I'm going to go murder all these guys. It's like, well, I'm glad. Well, I mean, I don't want you to murder them, but I'm glad they're getting there. Let's just g- be generous and say comeuppance. Um, <laughs> uh, You're showing them what for. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so it's just like, OK, so I, I guess it's good that they're getting justice. But at the same time, like. 
you know, uh, it is, it is this guy's story. It's Charles Bronson's story, but it's also this woman's story. And it sounds like that's what this is. This is her, it's her part of the story. Maybe that maybe your, her husband's not having an affair. Maybe he's out (laughs) hunting down these guys. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. Maybe. Um, I do want to, um, uh, there's a couple things like, uh, I remember I, uh, there was a, you remember my uh, my old coworker speaking of my video store. My old coworker who well, we all called J Lo. Remember J Lo? Yes. He used to talk about the idea of cinematic brilliance, even in the worst movie. Sure. You know, and that was the thing we would like talk about. Um, there's a scene. It's so brief, and I don't know. Sounds I, like that's uh, an episode topic, by the way. Um, yeah, maybe we should do that. Uh, so there's a part in Demented where um, she's getting ready to go to sleep. The doctor's like giving her a sleep sedative or something, and she asks for a glass of orange juice, and he goes down. He pours the orange juice, right? And then he hears something outside. Mm-hmm. And he goes outside and checks on it. And it turns out it was the just the neighbor's kid or whatever, you know. And then he comes back in and she's heard the sound. And she's standing in the kitchen with a meekly ready to attack whoever comes in. And so he calms her down and takes her back up to bed. And the camera stays in the kitchen on the glass of orange juice that's still there. It's a, it's, it's weirdly beautiful, yeah. like this moment of this orange juice on the, and it just hangs there for a moment. And I don't know what the reason for it is, but I was like, someone clearly wants me to think about this glass of orange juice. Well, there's this, there's an, an idea of, I remember in back in school learning about like the idea of like a, a loaded object, mm-hmm. which is to say somebody pours a glass of orange juice. The whole point of that is to drink it. Uh-huh. And the fact that this person has been called away from it, uh-huh. it's just sitting there. They weren't even able to drink their orange juice. The fact that like, it, it might as well be a loaded gun. You know, it's just a, it's a right. thing that is not fulfilling its purpose. Right. And because the, she was about to drift off to sleep and now she's right. shivering and holding a meat cleaver. And yes. that orange juice represents how close yet far away her, her inner piece is. And this idea of like, yeah, uh, Drinking a glass of orange juice is something everybody does. Not me. I don't care for orange juice, but like too sweet. I don't care for it. Do you not? Do you not like it? Uh, Every once in a while. Okay. uh, uh, I I will tell you, um, more, a morning flight in an airport. I will get a screwdriver. Um, I I like to, cause I like to have a drink before I get on a plane. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, my wife's a big fan of the bloody Mary's, but if there's one thing I like less than orange juice, it's tomato juice. Sure. It gives me, um, heartburn too much acid. It gives me heartburn. Yeah, so also uh, it's a, it's a the juice of a tomato. Why would anybody <laughs> want to drink that? <laughs> well, you like tomato soup? Not particularly. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could take a leave. If you told me from, from this moment on, David, you can never have another bowl of tomato soup. I don't think it would affect my life whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, <I think. laughs> um, but yeah, I do like a, a screwdriver sometimes before I get on a plane. That's um, about it for orange juice for me though. But that's the thing is just like, it's a very normal thing. You, you pour a drink, uh, a glass of something mm-hmm. and you drink it. That's how life works. And it's literally normal, regular reality has been so thoroughly interrupted. Right. You know, what you don't do is stand in the dark with a meat cleaver waiting yeah. for someone, Yeah. you know? And so, Oh, I got to see this demented movie, I um, guess. Yeah. Um, one more thing I want to say about demented. I, uh, I laughed at a part that in context, I know this is a, it was a very serious thing and I shouldn't laugh, but the freight, the thing, the, <laughs> the therapist is after he's talked to, um, the, the woman he's talking to porn star, Harry Reams as mm-hmm. her husband. And he says 
verbatim, this is the sentence he says. He says, being raped by four hoodlums is one of the most traumatic things a woman can experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a dumb line. Hoodlums? Hoodlums and the specificity of four. Yeah. Like, I guess that's why he says it's one of the most traumatic, because it's certainly more traumatic than three. Yes. But less traumatic than five hoodlums. Yeah. Oddly enough, six is better than five, (laughs) but then seven is terrible. Uh, Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's, let's move on. Now, if you're raped by four gentlemen, uh, that's as good as three hoodlums. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I see the, I see the trade off there. Uh, so, okay. We should move on cause this episode is longer than it needs to be given the number of movies we're talking about. Oh, we're having fun. So, okay, uh, continuing my Michael Mann kick, I realized I hadn't seen The Insider in a while. Okay. So, The Insider, inexplicably not available on Blu-ray yet. Like, it it hasn't been put out. Isn't that strange? Yeah. I have to assume that there's some company out there, like, vying for it, but I don't know. Maybe it's just, it's not a movie that's talked about very much anymore. What studio is it? Um, you know, I don't actually know. Hmm. Uh... You have more of a mind for that than I do. I almost never know that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when's the last time you saw it? Oh God, it's been a long, long time. I think, I think it is probably my favorite movie of 99. Hmm. Um, I do love three Kings. I love being John Malkovich. I love the limey. Mm-hmm. There's a, there, you know, obviously there's a lot of movies I love from that. Uh, year, I'm but, a big, I'm a big Felicia's journey guy. Sure. I know you are. Yeah. That's um, but what am I? A fan of the insider is what I am. Okay. Uh, so, and I saw it, I think like three times in the theater. Oh, wow. Uh, and then I saw it once or twice more. And then I guess I was just good for a while. I haven't seen it in probably, I'm going to say 10 years at least. And it really holds up. I'll say that. Um, it's a DP is a, Dante Spinotti, mm. who is, who crafts uh, really, I don't know, really um, ornate shots, uh, especially when working with somebody like Michael Mann. Um, there's there's a, a visual motif in this film where we often look at the backs of people's heads, um, and then we're seeing kind of what they're looking at, but we're seeing more their head than the thing, and it's. I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. Like these, this is a, this is a very visually interesting film, but it also keeps the characters and their struggles like front and center. And Russell Crowe is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, as is Al Pacino, Russell Crowe got a lot of the press and understandably so, but, uh, Al Pacino also does a really great job. And you know, so many people, when they think of the insider, they think of like, Oh, that's the one about the tobacco Mm -hmm. whistleblower. That is true. So the movie is about two and a half hours. The last hour plus Mm -hmm. is all about the CBS caving thing. Oh, right. And while they are caving to tobacco, uh, like big tobacco, like threatening to sue, it really does shift. It shift shifts almost completely away from Russell Crowe to Al Pacino and just his maneuvering to get this thing on the air at all. Um, and it's very interesting to see 
him slowly but surely live out his own version of Russell Crowe's story in the first half. Because hmm. these are both guys who thought they had the support of their company only to find that they are alone. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's really interesting. And Christopher Plummer is a gem in that yeah. film as Mike Wallace. He does a wonderful job. It's, uh, it's a testament to how good the movie is that I remember so much of it, even though it's been a long time. Yeah, it is. Um, do you know the story? And I don't, you know, someone who actually is more of a Michael Mann, uh, a file can tell me if this is true or not, but the story, you know, the, the shot of the bullet in the mailbox, do yeah. you know the story of that shot? I don't. That, uh, Michael Mann was so particular about that shot. Wanted just because it, it's a very important shot. Yes, it is. Uh, and he needed it just right. That 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 mailbox is not where a mailbox is when he shot, shot it. Sure, he's like set up a mailbox out on like a dock out on a lake to get the perfect light, and that, that's where that was. That's apparently where that was shot. Uh, I wow. don't. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I've heard. It is. I mean, it is a very notable shot, and. Uh, because that is really the pinnacle of the threats. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the use of music is is marvelous. And, you know, as we were talking about with Collateral, like Michael Mann, sometimes, you know, he's so attuned to music almost, but but almost to a detrimental degree where, like, he wants to incorporate a piece of music. And sometimes it's like, it's not hitting everybody else the way it's hitting you, Michael. Like, so take it easy but i think the insider it's almost perfect and um yeah and it was nice to see i always forget that uh tobo's in there um but yeah he plays one of the uh, cbs he plays uh the head of cbs news and that's kind of fun and so it's just a yeah listeners if you haven't seen it and i understand why you if you haven't i understand why like it, it really isn't talked about much but it is a great example of what you can do as a director to take a, a very straightforward character driven story. This, this film does not need to be shot in an ornate way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need the type of music that he's playing. It doesn't need any of that. It could have been shot like spotlight, mm-hmm. you know, and I like spotlight, but that's a very straightforward, you know, there's no real ornamentation to that. Um, although that's not to say that it's, uh, not that it's unconsidered, I think. Right. No, I don't mean to imply that. Um, but, uh, you know, but Michael Mann makes thrillers. He makes action movies, even Ali, you know, it's a biopic, but it's a biopic of a guy who is in a violent sport. The insider, there's no violence. It's not a, it's, it's not an actual thriller but it feels like one. And so he approaches it that way. And that's what makes it so watchable and rewatchable. And it's just a, it's an emotional thriller. And then what's neat is that since I, since I last watched it, you know, uh, YouTube has come to prominence. And so I was able to watch the actual CBS story, uh, Hmm. on YouTube, uh, the, the 60 minute story. And it was, it was very interesting. All right. Um, I won't spend too much time on this next one because um, I'm not entirely sure how much I can say. I've not, I've not been told by anyone that I'm under embargo, but okay. I also know there's like no reviews out there um, except for a couple of Twitter reactions. Um, so last night I saw Martin Scorsese's Silence. Nice. Um, it is nice. It's beyond nice. Uh, it's terrific. I mean, it's another religious movie. So he's back in uh, Last Temptation uh, uh, territory. Um, uh, I would say there's a bit less, I would say far less, um, 
mysticism in this one. This is much more of a, a ground level um, look at, um, uh, for the most part, that's not entirely true. But uh, I, like I said, I don't want to go too far into it. Um, it's a movie about Jesuit priests, Jesuit missionaries in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's terrific. Uh, yeah. It's been less than 20, it's been yeah less than 24 hours. Um, and I keep liking it more the more that I, mm-hmm. Uh, that I that I think about it, um, uh, and there are uh, obviously the uh, you've got a you know Martin Scorsese um, all star team of uh, uh, behind the scenes, but you've got him, you've got Rodrigo Prieto shooting it, you've got Dante Ferretti um, doing the production design, yeah. and of course you've got uh, you know uh, the world's greatest living editor, Thelma Shoemaker, sure. uh, editing it uh, in front of the camera. You've got uh, Andrew Garfield uh, who's good i don't know i've I've never never really been into him i don't think but you also got adam driver and liam neeson and you've got a couple of japanese actors that i wasn't that familiar with who are terrific yeah i've Um, I've, uh, one of them i uh, whose name i have forgotten uh, i believe just one supporting actor yeah it's agata or something um yeah um he's i guess he's the villain if you want it to but it's not that cut and dry a movie right. that it would have a, a villain but um that's sort of who he who he is uh yeah it's it's terrific it's um also about two hours and 40 minutes long but um you know you got film a shoemaker it's not gonna it doesn't feel uh it of doesn't feel not. too long of course not um yeah, so it's terrific. And then I will end mine with, uh, speaking of long movies, this one took me a couple nights to watch, but I watched the 1962 uh, D-Day movie, The Longest Day. Mm. Have you ever seen this movie? <laughs> now, I'd seen, I'd seen Tor- directed that? Uh, well, it's, uh, uh, I'll, I'll explain this. Because okay. I'd seen Tora Tora Tora, which is another Daryl Zanuck production, mm-hmm. in which the conceit is that it's Pearl Harbor from both the American and Japanese point of view, and you've right. got different directors um doing the uh the the american and the japanese uh sections and so d-day actually or sorry the longest day actually has three directors three credited directors imdb throws a couple more uncredited directors in there um but you've got um i guess you've got an american director and a uh french director um and a german director i think or is it american british and German. I can't remember. Cause there are, there are Brits and French people in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also the, for 1962, it's a movie uh, kind of surprisingly a movie where everyone speaks their language. And so there's lots of long subtitled sections of Germans or, or French people, uh, mm-hmm. talking to one another. Um, now I, you know, I looked it up and read some stuff. I, I guess it makes, a, you know, it cuts some corners and fictionalizes some things, sure. but it's basically, um, all of, D-Day, um, starting really the day before. In fact, the invasion itself doesn't start till almost an hour into the movie, and it's uh, the movie's three hours long. It's almost another hour into the movie before the storming of the beach, which is what we think of when we think of D-Day. But mm-hmm. there were all the paratroopers and gliders uh, through the night before leading up to that, and so there's yeah. a huge chunk of the movie that's just about, uh, uh, about that. Um, it's weird, you know, it's, uh, it's 1962. So it's like still technically like Hayes code time, but like post Joseph Breen. So it's pushing what you can get away with. So there's like, you know, lots and lots of people will get killed in the movie, but 
there's no blood ever in the movie. Mm. Like people are getting mowed down, but you just know because they're going, ah, and like freezing and falling down and you get used to it. It's weird at first. It it is, it does stick out at first because like, like the opening scene is like the Nazis gunning down this like French civilian in a field. Mm. Uh, and there's no blood whatsoever. I guess we're just like, I'm so accustomed to seeing more, uh, realism when it comes to gun violence in movies. Um, but you kind of get used to it. And, um, there's a scene near the end that, uh, you know, this isn't, there's no real way to spoil the movie cause we all know what happened on D day. Yeah. Um, there's a scene near the end that is almost like a little, very short, like one act play on its own that kind of sums up the whole movie and why it's a good movie. Why it's a, it's a better movie than Tora Tora Tora, which is, uh, has a lot of spectacle in it, but it's mostly a pretty dry movie that's longer than it needs to be. Um, this is a much better movie, but there's a scene where a British paratrooper played by uh, Richard Burton, um, who's, uh, wounded, um, perhaps mortally, uh, is leaning against the side of a barn and, um, an American paratrooper who has, um, unlike Richard Burton has, was he, he dropped in the wrong place has been lost. And this is like at the end of V day and he's been wandering around all day and hasn't been involved in any of the fighting we've seen yeah. where Richard Burton is like bleeding out in the, not that we see the blood, but he's right. bleeding out, uh, in the, in the dirt. And then there's a dead German, uh, okay. in front of them and they just like share a cigarette and have this conversation. And it sort of illustrates the movie's actual like thematic, uh, uh, or not thematic, but um, what it wants to get across is that while well, we've spent three hours seeing every aspect of D-Day and understanding yeah. everything that's going on, most of the actual participants have been embroiled in nothing but chaos and confusion all day and have yeah. no idea what's going on and not even any idea who's winning or anything yeah. like that. Um, and it's just a fantastic little dialogue scene. Hmm. Um, at you know, like I said, it's near the end. Of the, it's not the end of the movie, but it's near the end of the movie after we've seen you know, at that point, like two solid hours of, uh, uh, of violence, um, and chaos and it, just this quiet little scene. It's a, mm. it's a cool movie. Um, it also, and I need to research this far further to figure, find out if it's right, but I read some trivia that, you know, the idea, um, like, uh, when you see the credits of a movie, you see like, uh, and not the credit roll, but the titles when it's like starring this person, sure. and this person, this person, and then it'll be like a big name, older actor who has a small, but significant part. Sure. And it'll be, and whatever, right. uh, it, this might've been the first movie to do that with John Wayne. Hmm. Um, and apparently it was cause John Wayne's, um, contract required, separate billing, which is not an uncommon thing. It's not uh, like this still happens. Movies where you see like a person's name, then the title, then the rest of the cast, you know what sure. I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. And I guess that was the more standard way of doing it back then. And this was, uh, from what I was reading, perhaps the first time that a, an actor, like the, the big name, small, but significant part in the movie was the and blank. Um, although it could have been anybody, there's so many stars who have small roles in this movie. Like Henry Fonda has two scenes. um, which are not like it feels like Daryl Zanuck just wanted to get famous people in there because like yeah. it's not like the the character Henry Fonda plays doesn't need to be played he doesn't do anything particularly right. uh, special um, I mentioned uh, Richard Burton Sean uh, Sean Connery this is a pretty famous hmm. Sean Connery um, has a small role as a sort of 
uh, Wiseacre, um, <laughs> sure. uh, Scottish sol- soldier. He's great. Um, I'm drawing a blank, but there are, yeah, there are so many, so many, including, Oh, Gert Froba is in it hey. actually as, uh, uh, I mean, he's a very, you know, he makes a mark on the movie, even though he actually has no dialogue. He's kind of, uh, a comic relief <laughs> character. He's like, um, there's the, uh, um, the gunners, the German gun, gunners on the beach and, uh, Gert Froba plays the soldier whose job is to bring them coffee in the morning. <laughs> he doesn't actually say anything <laughs> in the movie. Uh, that's but, funny. But yeah, when he sees the ships coming, he gets a big reaction. That's yeah. uh, it's kind of a big part anyway. So yeah, the longest day, three hours long, but, uh, better than Tora, Tora, Tora. All right. That's, <laughs> there's a lot of qualifications there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, real quick, I will say uh, something that always struck me as interesting about the, uh, you know, the and person uh, in the credits uh, of a movie. The general's daughter. The Uh and person is James Woods. Right. Aside from John Travolta and Madeline Stowe, the rest of the cast is listed alphabetically. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. James Woods is, in fact, the last one. Yeah. Alphabetically. Yeah. So I was like, was he the end person because he was the last one? Well, I think if they put and they're saying this is someone special. Like I like we said, I like I'm saying with John Wayne, it was contractual thing. Like he right. had to be. And no, so I'm wondering it's, if it's there definitely is definitely someone special. But it's just like if I'm James Woods, uh-huh. I say, hey, do me a favor. Don't uh, list the other ones in order of appearance or something so that it's like, so I'm separate as it is. It's more just, we've listed everybody else. Now here's the, the one oh, who's, I see what you're saying. You know, I see what you're saying, but I guess I'm, I'm coming at it from a savvy enough viewer to know that if I see the word and sure, sure. that's supposed to uh, yeah. uh, mark something special. Yeah. But because it's alphabetical and he would be last anyway, yeah. it, it seems less special to me. Um, Miss Sloan has, two withs and an and but now i'm drawing a blank uh on who one of them is it's with sam waterson someone else and john lithgow hmm. i can't remember who uh who i'm missing anyway uh, that's all the movies i've seen all right david i'm about to get kind of animated so just bear with me okay all right so i finished my my long paper uh yesterday and I sent it in and I was like, all right, that's done. It wound up being about nine pages longer than I anticipated. Uh, it was 15 to 25 pages. And my plan, as one would expect, was that this paper is going to be 15 pages. Um, wound up being 24 because uh, I am a blowhard. <laughs> and so, but it was, you know, hanging over my head and it was the last big thing I had to do. I had, I had class today, but nothing to turn in or anything like that. And so it was the last big thing to do. So I was done and I was like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going to, I'm going to throw in a movie and just relax. I was like, I want to throw in something I'm familiar with. I don't want to throw in something overly, uh, you know, poppy or light. Uh, but I also don't want to throw in, you know, judgment at Nuremberg or something. Um, so I settled on, uh, the hateful eight. this will this marks i think my third time watching it david i am telling you after this election we all need to watch the hateful eight (laughs) okay 
I, I know I, that I sounds believe strange. You. No, I believe you, but I don't want to. I know. But I guarantee, think of how you feel. Think of the conversation that is being had uh-huh. about the different types of voters and, and, and our, our beliefs about them. Mm-hmm. Think of words like irredeemable and deplorable. Mm-hmm. Think of actual racism. Think of all of these things. The idea that there are people that say the right things, but they might not be that trustworthy. There are people that say the wrong things, but you can actually count on them. You watch this movie. It is almost prescient. I'm not saying it's predicting anything. It was reflecting the time. Yeah. You know, last year was a very, the last few years have been very turbulent as far as race. This actually goes beyond simple race. Like I would say the country is very divided right now, just as it is in hateful eight. And I would say more than anything else, the relationship between Walton Goggins and Samuel L. Jackson has even more depth now with a special emphasis on Walton Goggins. Think of how you regard him at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Think of how you regard him at the end. And just like the, we all have an idea. Not we all, I don't mean to, you know, a lot of people have an idea of like who the Trump voter is Mm -hmm. just as people had an idea of who the Confederates are. Clearly they're all just, they all, we, you know, they all think it's Bruce Dern Mm -hmm. and indeed some of them are. But some of them are Walton Goggins, whose dad was like Bruce Dern, but he is a diluted version of him who still has a certain degree of loyalty, not towards I, I, I'm really in favor of slavery. It's more just, you know, he's saying stuff like it goes, you guys, you know, we were your brothers and you treated us this other way. And I was just like, boy, doesn't it sound like someone in Wisconsin, Michigan or Pennsylvania could be saying that. Hmm. And it just the idea of just a, a group of people being treated as deplorable and cast aside. And I don't mean to defend people that might've like voted for Trump, but like it's the first place my mind went when he said that. And then as the, as the, as the film continued, I was just like, I was energized by Samuel Jackson's character and his relationship to Bruce Dern more so than I was before. It is, it has so much more weight now. Well, you know what I think? What? You're clearly uh, in a writing mood. You got to write this up. Post it on the... We need, we need a think piece. I have two things I got to review for the site already. All right. But, okay, uh, just saying. And honestly, I'd read, I I'd read that think piece. When did we decide that it was think piece? Not like... It, it's an editorial, right? Isn't that yeah, what they are? But now they're called think pieces. It's... Yeah, what does that tell you? That editorial doesn't mean think piece anymore. <laughs> that you have to come up with a different word if there's one that actually makes you think. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if I could write it because it's it's all very intangible in my mind right now. It might be something to think That's about. That's what writing does. Um, oh boy, I wish this were a video podcast. You can see my little writing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so okay, it, do you think it's it's ridiculous what I'm saying? Like, no, not this, at all. Does I, this almost intrigue you to watch yes, the movie again? More than almost. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I won't right now. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, we got an episode to record, David. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I, that sounds great. Um, I don't have any TV. I finished Search Party. It's great. I think people should check it out. Um, okay. It's both the show it said it was and not the show it said it was, but both in great ways. Okay. All right. Uh, All right. 